You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. And then when he rose, it truly was paid for in full, and we now have a positive balance in God's account. So don't we hope that we get a big refund if you haven't already had it yet within the next couple of weeks? And I hope you guys finish your taxes by, I think, Tuesday. Tuesday is the deadline, right? Or is tomorrow the deadline? All right. Tuesday. Okay. But the cool thing about being a Christian is that, spiritually speaking, you don't have to worry anymore about the consequences of death and the tax sin you have against God because now you're friends with God instead of enemies with God. So that's the message of Good Friday. That's the message of Easter. And pretty much I'm done. So let's get the worship music team up here. Anyways. Uh, why don't we start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this music that the children sung and this music that the uh, adult choir sung. We thank you for even the adult choir. It has been a long time since we had uh, an adult choir. And we thank you, Father, for the talents that you give us. Lord, it truly is befitting that we use these talents for you, whatever that they might be, whether it be our voice, whether it be our finances, whether it be the different skill sets uh, that we have uh, related to career or even related to our hobbies for your glory, to give you the glory in every thought and everything that we do, and to continue to penetrate this world with the verbal gospel of Jesus Christ as well as the values of the kingdom of Christ. And Lord, today we celebrate the beginning of that because today is Resurrection Sunday. And we thank you, Father, for this Sunday because it is this Sunday that started everything, the Christian movement and also the salvation that you have given us. Individually, for that movement continued on all the way to 2,000 years until now, and somewhere down the road, we met someone who was part of that movement. They shared the word of God with us, and we accepted and believed. And now we gather together as this local body of Christ to worship you. Lord, be glorified today. We thank you for the resurrection of your son, for which we have life, and for which we know that we will have life eternal as well, the hope of glory in Jesus Christ. Lord, we do pray, Father, for those of us who are sick and those of us who uh, need assistance uh, financially or with a job. Times are tough, and so we do pray, Father, for your providence and your provisions for us. Thank you for the prayers that you have already answered. Lord, we turn our eyes now uh, directly towards you and your word, and want to figure out what was that event that turned the world upside down and that switched a day of worship so sacred to so many people to another day in time. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, he is risen. Let's do it again. He is risen. All right. Well, today um, I'm going to be talking about the event that pushed the sacred day off balance. And I know you guys don't know anything about what that event is. Of course, you know what it is, so it's sort of like anticlimactic. But we're still going to talk about it. Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus rose from the dead, had not only implications for our spiritual life, but in the reality of the world, even in terms of the day of the week that we worship, it switched it. Many of us don't realize how hard it was to switch that, though, because we don't know that much about the Sabbath day and the implications 
of what would happen if you actually switched that day to another day. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that today. I want to share with you about my church when I grew up. And the church that I grew up in, there were a lot of do's and don'ts. It was more of a fundamentalist type Baptist, Southern Baptist church. You didn't drink, you used the King James Version, you didn't dance. I had a pastor who said, I will only allow dancing in the senior year for my daughter and my son because I want them to experience what a dance is like out there in the world. And I think that he was hoping that they would not like it. And so then after that, they wouldn't want to dance at all when they go to college or in the adult world. But that's the kind of church that I grew up in. And I'm really thankful for my experience at the church I grew up in. But there was a lot of interesting things that they believed in also. So for example, one time... There were a whole bunch of people, because they had soccer practice or because they had baseball practice, mainly the youth or the children, other types of sports activities, they couldn't come to church on Sunday mornings. So I suggested to some leaders, hey, maybe we can change worship service or not change worship service, add a new worship service for Saturday, Saturday night, so that those people who can't come Sunday morning can come on Saturday night. And they cringed. They visibly cringed, like... We can't, we can't do that. Well, why can't you do that? Well, because that's not real church. Real church happens on Sunday morning. And so I thought, okay, I don't understand why you say that, but fine, I don't want to cause too much problems. Why don't we make it Sunday night? Because they only have practice Sunday morning, but how about Sunday night? And they cringed again, just a little less visibly. Because I think, you know, it's Sunday, so it's more okay. But they still said, that's not okay. Why? Well, because it's not Sunday morning. So it's not not real church. And they finally shared that it's got to be Sunday because Sunday morning, not just Sunday, but it's got to be Sunday morning because Sunday morning, that is following the command to keep the Sabbath day holy. And that is when church is real church. How many of you have heard that before? Raise your hand. Okay, like, it's got to be on, on Sunday, and, it's got, and preferably or ideally on Sunday morning, because if it's not, that's not real church. And a, a bit of that, I think, is true even for us. Even for us, we're so progressive. Uh, at times, if I ask the question, what if we canceled Sunday morning worship service and made it Saturday night? Would you feel good about that? And would you feel something less holy happened as a result? Would that Saturday night worship service be as holy as the Sunday morning worship service. And I believe some of us would say, yeah, I I prefer it to be Sunday morning. There's just something about Sunday morning that makes the worship service more spiritual to God. I can't tell what it is, but, but that's just what it is. Is it because that's the best time to take your family? Yes. But still, something is more spiritual about uh, Sunday morning. Maybe it's the, the cool of the air, or you see the sunrise, or whatnot. Anyways... At that time, I just shook my head, and I decided, you know what, it's probably better that I talked about something else. So we proceeded to talk about how it's lamentable that there are now less cassette tape music at the Tower Records across the street. And so we, we didn't talk about that uh, anymore. Now the irony of it was, the Sabbath day isn't even Sunday, right? The Sabbath day isn't even Sunday. If you're going to take a biblical perspective... The Sabbath isn't even Sunday. All you have to ask is your Jewish friends. They'll tell you it's, it's Saturday. The Sabbath is, is Saturday. It's not Sunday. Technically, it's Friday night, 
to Saturday night, but it's not Sunday. It's Saturday, and the Bible is clear on this. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 12. This is the fourth out of the Ten Commandments. So this is a big thing, okay? It's a Ten Commandments, and this is the fourth one out of the Ten. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. So your animals can't do any work either. So your dog Fido or your cat Lucy, they, they can't work. Okay? I don't know what work, what employment you have for them, but, but if they do, they're breaking the Sabbath. Okay? For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. So this is serious stuff. We're following the God, the creator of the universe. This is what he did, so we got to do the same thing. For six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, the question then becomes, what is the seventh day? It's Sunday, right? The seventh day is the Sunday, so the Sabbath is a Sunday. No, according to the Bible, the seventh day is Saturday which means that the first day of the week is Sunday. Now, a lot of us think, wait, but Monday is the first day of the week, and we forget that it's our American culture and a lot of Western culture. Actually, a lot, a lot part of the world, the workday starts on Monday, and so we just assume Monday is the first day of the week. But if we look from it from a historical point of view and from a biblical point of view, the first day of the week was actually Sunday, the seventh day was the Sabbath day, which means Monday would be actually the second day of the biblical week. Now, let's look at it again from Scripture in Luke chapter 23, verse 50 to 24, verse 6a. And so in Luke 23, verse 50, this is after the crucifixion of Jesus, and we're introduced to Joseph of Arimathea, who is a member of the council, the Sanhedrin, the religious supreme court of the day, and he was a dissenter when it came to the crucifixion of Jesus. He didn't agree with that. Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of a council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action, referring to the crucifixion of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day. Now, preparation day is commonly known as a Friday. And the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath, which we will assume is a Saturday, in obedience to the commandment. So they rested on the Sabbath. They prepared the spices to be ready to embalm Jesus, but they couldn't do it because it was now the Sabbath day, so they needed to rest in obedience of the commandment, the fourth commandment. Then, chapter 24, verse 1, on the first day of the week, Sunday, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. The men said to them, Why do you look 
for the living among the dead. He is not here. He has risen. And this is where we get the tradition of saying, he has risen, he has risen indeed. And as you can see, the first day of the week is equated with the day after the resting on the Sabbath day, which everyone understood was a Saturday in biblical times, which means that they came to Jesus on a Sunday. And the Sunday in chapter 24, verse 1, is equated to the first day of the week. All right, so the first day of the week is Sunday. The seventh day is actually the Sabbath day. So in actuality, my church friends weren't just logically incorrect in the way they argued. Well, I don't want to say argued, because whenever we say argue, we think of, <laughs> it was actually a, quite, a, quite a casual uh, discussion. But in the way they were thinking, in the way they were reasoning, not only just logically, but also biblically, they were incorrect. This idea of keeping the Sabbath day holy wasn't only defined resting on Saturday, but also on making sure that the Sabbath day was on Saturday, and not any other day, unless you wanted a rock in your face. And let me tell you, these rocks were not like small little marbles. They were like medium-sized stones made out of limestone or granite, and it was just not one rock. There were a couple of rocks, and you would be pelted with it until you died. Now, check out the scriptures again. This is how important it was to God that this Sabbath day be kept holy, this Saturday. Exodus 31, 13 to 16. Say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come. Okay, so this will be a sign between me and you for generations to come. It's going to keep lasting. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Whoever does any work on that day must be cut off from his people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. I think we get get the point. I think we do get the point. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. So as part of this spiritual marriage relationship with God. And so I think all of us probably should be put to death. You know, how many of us have uh, uh, failed in keeping Saturday holy before? Okay. Some of you, some of you will su- succeed and survive. Good. CCCTO will continue on. You will be the new elders and deacons of the church. May God bless you as you now have worship service on Saturday instead of on Sunday. So anyone who wanted to move the Sabbath day to another day would risk the death penalty. And you pretty much get the feeling that you don't just switch the Sabbath day to another day unless God actually told you to do so, or unless something very dramatic happened. And of course, again, God has to be the one to do that because he's the one that created the Sabbath day. So for 1,500 years, worship on Sabbath was revered on Saturday until it wasn't. What? What happened? That things changed after 1,500 years. Well, let's look. And it's interesting that things changed right about the time of Christ and after. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27 to 28, 
This is written by St. Mark around 60 AD. Then he, Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Oh, this blew away the minds of the religious leaders, especially the Pharisees, because, because they all thought man was made for the Sabbath. But here's Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, God in human form, saying, well, no, the Sabbath was made for man. So it was for man to be able to use the Sabbath for himself, not the Sabbath be used by man, or, or the Sabbath using man. And then he says something even more crazy, verse 28, so the Son of Man, referring to himself, remember we talked about this before, this is based off of Daniel chapter 7, he's referring to himself, that he is a divine figure uh, that is like a king over all nations who serves next to the Ancient of Days, which is God the Father. And so we see a bi-unity of God in the book of Daniel. So this divine Christ figure, and he refers of that figure to himself, Jesus saying, so I, the Son of Man, is Lord even of the Sabbath. So I can change the Sabbath regulations the way I want. And as a result of this, you already feel the regulations of the Sabbath that we see in the Old Testament sort of, sort of getting loosened a bit. Then in 62 AD, two years later, St. Luke writes uh, Luke, and then he writes Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And in Acts 20, verse 7, we see Paul doing something, not on a Saturday, but on a Sunday. On the first day of the week, Sunday, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and, be, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. So if you're a youth and you get bored of church, like especially of my sermons because sometimes they're really long, okay, this is the passage for you because if you keep reading the passage, I encourage you right now, go to Acts chapter 20, and go past verse 7, and then there's a teenager, right? You guys know the story? And then because Paul keeps talking on, on through the night, he, he, he starts falling asleep, and they're in the second story, so he falls down, he dies, right? And then, and then Paul goes and he heals him, and, and he wakes up, and he's back to life, okay? So if you, as a, as a youth, or maybe even an adult, feel like when you're listening to these sermons, uh, you fall asleep and you feel like you're going to die, the Bible understands you. The Bible, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for you for your healing, okay? I'll be praying for you. But what's interesting is that this kind of thing used to be done on Saturday. Coming together to break bread, okay? That's eating together in fellowship and also the communion, okay? Because remember, the breaking of the bread was something that they did in the early church in Acts chapter 2 in the four pillars of what they did. They came together to talk about the apostles' teaching, they came together to fellowship, to pray, and they broke the bread together, which at the end of that would be a communion. And that would happen on the Sabbath day, but now we're seeing it happen on Sunday. And this is the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders of the church, doing this. And this is just in 62 AD. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13b to 17, has Paul writing this just a year later, and he said this, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations. And he's referring to the Old Testament law, specifically the civil and ceremonial laws. That was against us, and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Okay, and that's a really great image because 
If you nail something to the cross, Jesus died and he rose from the grave, Jesus didn't take that with them to heaven after he rose. It was nailed and dead to the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Okay? Now, for those of you that are saying, yeah, you see, I drink a lot of Coke, and I'm getting fatter, so don't, don't tell me what to do. This is not talking about Coke. Right? He's talking about the old Jewish kosher laws, okay? Um, I don't know if they have anything to do with Coke, or, or someone, one of you that has a Jewish background, you can let me know if, they, if it relates to Coke or, or Pepsi or whatnot. By what you eat or drink, or with regard, with regard to a religious festival, for example, in Jewish culture, you have to uh, abide by the certain different festivals, okay? Um, a new celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So we see now that a lot of the Old Testament code no longer applies to the New Covenant, New Testament believer in Christ because it has been abolished. And one of those things that we do not have to follow anymore are the codes related to the Sabbath day. Now, if you still want to follow these codes, that's fine. You can go ahead and do it. We have a lot of Messianic Jews that still follow the old kosher laws, people who are Christians, Jewish, that still follow the old code and, and do Sabbath. That's fine. But we are not restricted to that anymore. We are free from that because now the reality is found in the freedom of Christ and in the laws of Christ. Then we see Justin Martyr. Now, this is not from the biblical canon, okay? So I don't want you to think that this is the Bible also. But this is a document that um, Justin Martyr, who is a disciple of a disciple of, of uh, St. John, a disciple of the disciple of St. John. And he was writing this letter called the First Apology in 150 AD to the emperor because the emperor was cracking down on Christians and Justin Martyr was making a defense for Christians and why they do what they do and that we are not an enemy of the Roman state. And he says this in 150 AD, but Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly because it is the first day on which God having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world. That's in reference to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, right? The earth was formless and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering through the waters. And let there be light, right? That was done on the first day. Um, and Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. So you can see the transition from worshiping God as a church on Saturday to the loosening of the Sabbath laws, and then to Sunday becoming the time of worship as the years go by happens as you read through Scripture and as you see things outside of Scripture, for example, Justin Martyr's uh, letter to the emperor. Some are so that within 120 years of Christ's death, there is direct evidence that the Christian church observed the Sabbath on a Sunday rather than on a Saturday, and indirect evidence within just 30 years. Now, this is important because a lot of people think, for example, Seventh-day Adventists will say, well, that was a creation of 
The Roman Catholic Church, when they came into power in for the 4th century AD, well, we have evidence that goes all the way back to the first generation Christians, that they worship the Lord on the first day instead of on the seventh day. Now, how did this shift to Sunday happen? What tipped off that Saturday worship to then a Sunday worship? Because weren't they afraid of death? Remember, you get stoned if you did this? Remember that God doesn't like this? Well, the answer is no. They were no longer afraid of any punishment by God or man because now they understood that they were under another code. Something so dramatic and supernatural occurred that they discontinued corporately worshiping God on the day proposed in the Old Covenant and began to do it on Sunday according to the newfound freedom they received in the New Covenant of Christ. And so when you take the bread and when you take the the cup and then you hear the pronouncement, this cup is new covenant under my blood, this is part of that new covenant, the freedom that this new covenant, that this new testament gives. And you guessed it, it's because of today, Easter, Resurrection Sunday, that that occurred, and as a result of that, Sunday church worship service was born, and the Sabbath changed from Saturday to Sunday. If that didn't happen, well, we probably wouldn't even be here, but if we were, we would be worshiping God on a Saturday. Now, the shift of the Sabbath day worship to Sunday is also evidence of Christ's resurrection. Have you ever thought about this before? A lot of times when we think about the resurrection of Christ, we want to find evidence for it because we want to convince ourselves and then our non-Christian friends that it actually happened. Well, what are the clues that it actually happened? The resurrection of Jesus Christ on Sunday and then the shift from Saturday to Sunday worship is evidence that the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually happened. Because without this shift, without the resurrection happening, there would be no motivation, no courage, no uh, um, stability to desire to do such a thing. Because if they did it, they would know that it was foolish and they would die. But they were willing to risk death and they were willing to, to risk going against God's law in order to do this because they knew that this was no longer part of God's law, right? So just think, if Jesus did not rise from the dead on Sunday, proving that he was God in human form, would the early Christians, who were 99% Jewish, be able to overcome their fear of getting stoned to death and their knowledge that they'd be directly disobeying one of the major Ten Commandments of God? I don't think so. Unless... Jesus actually rose from the grave. Okay? The only explanation of why they're willing to risk this is if they actually believe that Christ rose from the dead, which meant that the Old Testament law is nullified, replacing it with the New Testament law of grace. And so from that point on, you had a movement of Christianity who slowly changed from the worship on Saturday to the worship on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. If it were not for Christ's resurrection there would be no motive to worship God together on Sundays. Death is never a, a good motive, right? Well, I would say, no, death is never a good motive when you know that after you die, you're probably going to hell. But death is a good motive when, you, when 
death, death is no longer an issue when you know that you're not going to go to hell. Okay? Jesus' resurrection truly did push this sacred day off balance. And this is why now the true worship of God is not limited to a certain time, is not limited to a certain day, is not limited to a certain geographical location. But as Jesus said, it is now as long as it qualifies that you're worshiping God in spirit and in truth, this is what he talked about with the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, verse 19 to 24, meaning anywhere, anytime, any day, as long as it is through Christ. So, how many of you went to um, sunrise service today at 6 o'clock in the morning? Raise your hand. Okay, so maybe 10% of you. I went, I woke up at like 4.30 in the morning. I, I never wake up at 4.30 in the morning. Unless Theodore, my son, wakes up, I'll wake up at 4.30 in the morning. But I never wake up at 4.30 in the morning. But today I did. All right, that means that that worship service is just as holy and legit as this worship service. Thank you for coming a second time. So Jesus rose from the dead, and he gave a command before he ascended into heaven. And this is a very popular command. We know this command if you've read through the Bible or have been a Christian here for more than a year. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 to 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, usually uh, when we read this, the call is to the Christian, you know, are you making disciples? Which sadly, I, I don't think most Christians are making disciples. Uh, we're pretty much continuing to passively be discipled until the day we die without ever having made that many disciples, even though that is the main role and job description of a Christian. But I want to focus on if you're not a Christian. And the reason why I want to focus on you is because Christmas and Easter are always known as the time when you will finally come to church. And usually it's two times, either Christmas or Easter. And usually, more so, it's Christmas instead of Easter. But you should switch that around. I'm just letting you know, because Easter is more important than, than Christmas. So if you just come to Christmas, you're doing it wrong, okay? Come to Easter instead. That, that, that is more important than Christmas. Although Christmas is still important, right? But are you a disciple of Jesus yet. Here I am applying this to my life. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I'm a pastor, and I'm doing that right now to all of you. And those of you that are not Christian, would you like to be a follower of Jesus? And you become a follower of Jesus by believing what he did for you on the cross, by believing that he rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, and by asking him to be the Lord of your life and also the Savior of your life. And God says that if you do that, you'll be spiritually converted, you'll be regenerated and born again, and you can start off in your new relationship, friends with God through Jesus instead of enemies with God through Jesus. Not having to be afraid of hell, because knowing that you are heaven-bound. When he was put to the cross, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. 
What the Bible means is that the cost of sin isn't just $30, isn't just $1,000, it's not even $100 billion. It requires the death of a life. And that's why we all die ever since Adam and Eve sinned. And so Jesus, being God, could die for the sins of the world, paying the penalty for all of mankind. And he didn't just remain down in the grave, but he rose from the dead. Death could not hold him because he had paid the penalty for death. And being God, he was too pure and good for death to hold him down. He rose from the dead, and then he offers that same salvation to you, saying, hey, I paid your sin. Now believe in me, and you will have eternal life. Are you ready to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be his disciple, be his follower? If you are, I want you to pray this prayer after me. You don't have to pray out loud. You can pray in your heart. But please pray this prayer after me. Let's pray together.